everyone knows something you don't. And part of the joy of writing is that it is a journey, not a destination. Hello, writers, and welcome to the Writer's Mindset Podcast with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. We're here bringing you all the knowledge and techniques you need to achieve your writing goals. Whether you want to be a number one bestseller or make a living writing what you love, we've got you covered. It's time for practical tips, hard truths, and tough love, but in the very best of ways. Do you love the podcast? You can support us over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee per month. As part of our writing community, you'll get to listen to new episodes early, enjoy bonus episodes, and take part in patron-only writing workshops whenever we hit income goals. Sounds like an absolute bargain to me. Yep. Our first workshop, when we hit enough patrons to buy a domain name for the podcast, will be on getting focused. Focus during writing sessions and deciding which idea you should be focusing on right now. Which is definitely a big problem we see a lot, right? And that's why we chose it. If you like the sound of all that, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash support. How's your writing been going this week, Ellie? There hasn't been much writing, if I'm honest with you. I have been very busy as I have just moved house and everything is everywhere. So um, there hasn't been many words on the page per se, but I did have a very good discussion about one of my projects the other day uh, with yourself and a friend of ours. I feel like the ending is a bit more worked out and I know where I'm going to go with it now. I've got some really good ideas for scenes and stuff. So I'm happy. It's progressing, just not necessarily uh, in terms of words on the page. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I've been... um editing a lot this week and yeah I've been enjoying it actually more than I would usually enjoy editing because it used to be like the least favorite part of the writing process for me and now I quite enjoy the I can't even say it the developmental stage and um, now I'm editing the second afterlife cause book which is the mummy's curse and it's an excuse basically for me to watch documentaries on ancient Egypt and Egyptian archaeology which is basically how I've been spending my spare time when I'm not watching hair and skincare tutorials. But for me, the biggest challenge was filling in the subplots because I wrote The Ghost Call and The Mummy's Curse back to back. Writing the two of them together really helped me figure out the characters and what I wanted to do with the series and the direction it was going in and stuff. But now I've got to fill in the subplots that I laid the groundwork for in book one, weaving those into the fast pace of the mummy's curse because it is a kind of life or death situation that they're trying to solve that's going to be the real challenge of not losing the kind of life or death side of things but also adding in these subplots as well that sounds very complicated (laughs) it it feels it but i'm fairly confident i can pull it off now and that's not from like an arrogant point of view it's because the first one was so much work this is still less work than the first one <laughs> my aim at the moment is to release the second one in september october um and to send it to beta readers in july so it's like you know it's no pressure at all None at no all. pressure no pressure no. just remind us when the first one is released the first one is out on the 29th of June and it is currently in the hands of advanced readers and the feedback has been very good indeed. They're really enjoying spending time with Neve and Edie, which is what I was going for, you know, because they are such fun characters. 
but they've also got quite an acerbic wit, which means I can just lean into my very English sarcasm, you know? Yeah, they are great characters. Very well-written, sarcastic characters. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, writers. Editing Christine and popping in here. I just wanted to let you know about an amazing offer which runs from now until midnight ET on the 11th of June. That's 5am on the 12th of June if you're in the UK like me. For a limited time, our friends at Ultimate Bundles have put together a whopper package of over $5,000 worth of writing goodies. Writers like myself, Dave Chesson from Kindlepreneur, David Rose from ProBlogger, ProWritingAid and The Right Practice have teamed up to teach you the skills you need to get the results you want from your writing. Whether you're looking to develop your freelance writing career, build a band of loyal followers or get your first book out there, there's something in it for you. You can learn about keyword research, LinkedIn marketing, blogging, characterization, planning, productivity, and so much more. There's even stuff to help you learn book cover design. Or if you'd rather outsource your book covers, you can get a discount on yours from the folks at 100 Covers who designed my cover for The Ghost Call, which I love. And so do my readers. I've had so many comments on it and the book isn't even out yet. There's so much content in the writer's toolkit, it would be impossible for me to cover it all. There are courses, ebooks, memberships, and templates. In total, it's worth over $5,000, but available to you for just $97 for a limited time. It's about 70 quid if you live in the UK, give or take commission. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee too, so if you decide it's not for you, you've got a whole month to get your money back. But honestly, with the value you get for this bundle, you won't want to. Even if you only use a handful of what's in there, you'll have gotten your money's worth. And you'll want to use a whole lot more than that. We are an affiliate of Ultimate Bundles, which means we get a commission every time you buy through our link but we wouldn't be recommending this if we didn't think it could genuinely help you. It's so good and I've had so much fun and learned so much exploring everything inside it. You'll never find a bundle or a bargain like this again. To grab your bundle, simply visit writerscookbook.com forward slash the writer's toolkit. It's an amazing offer that ends at midnight ET on the 11th of June, so get yours ASAP. So when it comes to newbie writer mistakes, then what is the first mistake you tend to see newbie writers making? Waiting for inspiration to strike. Are you suggesting that that's a bad thing? You know, can we not wait for our muse to come and knock on the door? As much as we want there to be, there's no magic spell or formula to finding inspiration. Inspiration is a skill and it happens because you work at it. The less writing you do, the less ideas and the less inspiration you have. There is not a magical muse standing over your shoulder to help you write a great story like there is in that episode of Charmed. I think it's called Muse to My Ears. Don't ask how I remember that. That's quite impressive that you remember that. I wish I did have a muse. That would be very handy. But as you said, we can't expect there to be this magical creature standing on our shoulder, whispering in our ear and telling us what to write for our next great story idea, can we? No, but on the bright side, it does also mean no demon's going to come and take your inspiration. Even though it may feel like that sometimes. So unless you want to talk metaphorically about mental health conditions, which obviously we do talk about a lot and can be referred to as demons or monsters, can these affect inspiration? Oh, totally. But also, again, if you've built up that muscle, you can work around it because your muscle will be more resilient. It's like when you're ill, you exercise less, right? But because you've already built up that muscle, your muscles will deteriorate slower because you spent all that time building them in the first place. You with me? Yeah, that makes sense. The uh, You've still got the skill there, but if you stop using it for a little while, 
it won't deteriorate as fast. Yeah, it's like when I went back to writing all that much after a period of write, edit, write, edit, I found it a lot easier to get back into writing because I'd already built up those writing muscles. So even though I'd taken a break, it was easier to start running again. Our next mistake then, and this is something I sort of did up until recently, is calling yourself a newbie or an amateur writer. As I said before, if you're writing, you are a writer. You don't have to be published necessarily. You don't have to have written an entire novel or an entire series or anything. If you're writing, you are a writer. Why does this change how we feel about ourselves? We discussed it in the episode, Can You Reprogram Your Brain for Success? And it is a case of we become what we tell ourselves we are. So if we say we're a failure, we will be a failure. If we call ourselves a writer or an author, we start to see those opportunities to grow and to nurture those skills and to become that thing that we want to be, even if we're not technically it yet. Of course. And actually, when people ask and I call myself a writer, it feels good, which I know is not a scientific way to talk about it, but it does feel good. (laughs) The other side of this coin, though, which is mistake number three, is thinking you know everything or think the newbie writer thinking that they know everything obviously I'm just coming to the end of doing my master's in creative writing and those people who are more open to learning are the ones who have developed most during the course and I consider myself myself one of those people if you give yourself the room to grow and accept that you've got a lot to learn you will learn a lot more you'll get a lot more out of these experiences right Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, who you are, how old you are, how much experience you have. Everyone knows something you don't. And part of the joy of writing is that it is a journey, not a destination. Different things are going to work for different people. And you may find something new that you like even more, even if you've been writing for decades. When I was working on what happens in New York and what happens in London, I experimented with different plotting processes. And it wasn't until I got to, I think, my sixth novel. So I found a plotting process that really works for me. But I am also open to new systems and other systems that might work even better. And the fact that with every series I write, every book I write, I may need something different, either because I've changed it as as a person or because a different system will fit that book or world better. That's good. It's really great to have those, to have that kind of attitude where you are open to learning those things. I think those that are more arrogant in a way, they lose out a lot. And that kind of arrogance can also come sometimes with the dismissal of certain genres, particularly ones like romance or fantasy. But I mean, the romance genre is worth over like $1.08 billion a year, uh, according to the Romance Writers of America. Even though I, I know people look down on it, which I don't agree with, we shouldn't be dismissing something like that, that something that makes up almost a quarter of the literary market on its own. Romance is the biggest genre in the world, yet so many people dismiss it as flighty and repetitive and boring. But the truth is, romance writers know how to treat it, treat writing like a business much more than a lot of others because it is such a fast-moving genre. If you aren't constantly on top of it, then you lose money and you can't pay your bills you know absolutely and we are big advocates of treating writing like a business if that's what you want to do can't just magic money into your account it is a business at the end of the day if you want to succeed right yeah definitely you also recommended studying romance for anyone looking to enhance their characters right regardless of the genre they're writing in yeah 
Romance and women's fiction are really good for relationships and also for depth of characters. That's not to say every book that falls under those umbrellas will be good for that, but a lot of them will be, particularly the good ones, particularly the best-selling ones, because they are best-selling for a reason, you know? Of course, yeah, definitely. There's a there's a lot we can learn from most books, but like you say, if they're good at characters, don't dismiss it just because it's romance or because of some preconceived notion about romance books you know you can learn from any book and make sure you're open to learning from romance too yeah and a caveat to that some of the romance books that people often dismiss there are still things to be learned because it's worth understanding why those books are a success in the first place even if they're not the most well-written books in the world there is still something you can take away from that even if it's not your kind of book even if it wouldn't get you a even a pass if you were doing a creative writing emmy of course so even though we know there's a lot to learn and obviously we are out there learning as much as we can all the time why do people dismiss genres like this This is just me surmising, okay? So I'm not 100% sure. It's stuff I've seen. It's anecdotal stuff. Women-focused genres and ideas and concepts, etc. have always been stuff that people look down on. Computer programming was looked down on when it was seen as a women's thing until people realized that actually a lot of money could be made from it. And then it became a very masculine, very well-paid, very sexist industry for a very long time. And also then there is the fact that romance is obviously commercial fiction because it makes so much money. And so people are like, oh, it can't be as good because it's making all this money. And it's almost like they feel like if something is more literary, then it holds more merit than something that plays to what people want to read rather than what the writer just wants to write. Crime and thriller is also one of the biggest genres out there, not quite as big as romance, obviously. But it's seen as a bit more serious and grounded. So I think it's kind of taken a bit more seriously. Whereas romance is just another form of fantasy. A lot of the time it is wish fulfillment. Just the same as the idea of us becoming a witch or a werewolf or being able to see ghosts or whatever the trend of the moment is. Like I said, though, this is just me surmising. What do you think, writers? Let us know in our Facebook group. I agree with you. Like you say, anecdotally, I have definitely noticed people look down on those kind of genres. And it's a shame because there's no reason to really. I mean, obviously, there are going to be some that are not up to standard, but that is definitely not restricted to the romance genre, is it? No, definitely not. So, yeah, get out there, read everything, learn everything, love everything. So finally, our last little mistake that we wanted to cover is not using beta readers. So we've talked a little bit about this before, but why do beta readers matter so much? Because they will always, always see things that you don't. One of the reasons I love poetry is because it doesn't matter who reads something, they will see something and read something differently, especially if it's the kind of poem that uses a lot of metaphors or maybe an extended metaphor. With fiction, sometimes you want that level of ambiguity, but a lot of the time you don't because it can be detrimental and mean that people get confused or your world building isn't clear or your relationship isn't clear. And that can be detrimental to your story. I remember you saying early beta readers for the ghost call noticed that you hadn't necessarily explained some of the world building very well, right? Yeah, because it was completely new to me. My first two series had an element of world building, but they were mostly set in Hollywood, which most people have got a basic understanding of. So I didn't need to explain what a film was or what a TV show was or a record contract, you know? 
Uh, I'm used to watching fantasy primarily on TV. I do read a lot, but I grew up analyzing TV and film rather than books. So I've got like 10 plus years of analyzing film and TV and considerably less of analyzing books. But fantasy on TV is a different structure because it's got so many more writers and so much more going on and they often span much longer. But what I was doing was I was explaining what happened too late in the story. I needed to explain it earlier on so that the readers had that context when things happened. I needed to foreshadow it. But I never would have noticed that myself if someone hadn't pointed it out to me because I was too close to the story. Yeah, it's a, it's a new skill that you've learned at the end of the day. I think this is one of the things I was trying to tell you before. You, you were beating yourself up a bit for, for not doing it perfectly first time. It's, it's a new skill and you, you're, you've already improved that skill and you will continue to improve that skill, but you can't be great at it straight away, right? Yeah, and it was... Like I said, it was so new to me. It felt really overwhelming because I could do the relationships. I knew the location because it's set in my hometown. But the idea of explaining all these things that were in my head and explaining them in the in a way that other people could understand was really strange to me because I'm quite bad at explaining things sometimes. I put my hand up to that. Sometimes I can explain things well, but when it's the when it's something a little bit more abstract, like, you know, the fake magic systems then i find it a lot harder than explaining something like book marketing which is obviously a little bit more concrete you know of course coming back to beta readers then i think we have all read books where small mistakes were left in i don't know about you or our writers listening but i can say for myself that it does it can impact the opinion i have of the book and sometimes the author as well but These things can often be caught by beta readers, as you said. Yeah, for me, I would say I can be quite forgiving of small things like typos because of the fact I know how hard it is. And I know some indie authors are one person bands and they're working their ass off. Big publishers who have let go of proofreaders, I am slightly less forgiving of. But, you know, the more people who see a book before it's published, the better, because no one is going to pick up on everything. Everyone is going to notice something different, whether they are the typo person or they are the plot hole person or the characterization problem. Like a lot of my friends who want help beta reading will come to me because they want help with their characterization and maybe their dialogue, because those are my strengths. The more people you show your book to and get opinions of, the less mistakes that are likely to be left in but also remember some of these things are going to be a personal opinion and not necessarily a massive fuck up if you leave it in yeah absolutely i can forgive a a typo or two but i don't know not with the big publishers (laughs) so what mistakes have you seen or committed yourself writers let us know in our listener facebook group you can come join us at writerscookbook.com forward slash facebook group and now it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. My Book of the Week this week is The Storyteller by Jodie Pico. And I chose this because I was talking to a friend who's also a fan of hers the other day, and it reminded me of how much I love this book. Yeah, you, you recommended this book to me, actually. It's on my to-read list. It's just such a good book. And it, it was the first book I ever read to make me cry, actually. And there were tears of happiness. I don't want to spoil it, but... The book is so emotionally intense and it is grounded in reality because what makes her book so good is that she does a lot of research before she starts writing. 
she talked to Holocaust survivors before she wrote this book, and it runs on two timelines. It's the story of a woman in a concentration camp, the point of view of one of the guards, and also a Nazi hunter and just your average baker. Also, you think she's an average baker, but she's tied up in all of this. It's just got so much heart and so much power. And the very fact that, yes, this is a work of fiction, but it is so heavily based in reality, it really does pull at your heartstrings. I see. Well, you didn't sell it to me like that last time when we talked about it, but I think I shall bump it up my list. Do it. It's going above Gone Girl, though. That's fine. You'll learn more from this. (laughs) And it's history, and you have a history degree, so... Yeah, I do, but like, don't tell people because they'll expect things from me. <laughs> okay, I won't mention it again. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit the shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And tell all of your friends how awesome it is as well. Definitely. You never know who it could help. Speaking of helping, you can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month. Join our growing gang of writers and get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and patron-only writing workshops when we hit our goals. And free Ellie hugs if they ever meet you. Absolutely. I am a big hugger. Uh, I don't force hugs on people, but anyone's up for a hug, I'm there. I do hugs, though. Sorry. It's it's not my style. I'll give um, people two hugs in lieu of your hug. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you're more of a resting bitch face type of person. I deny that. (laughs) But you just can't deny the truth. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Keep writing.